Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, many of us have spent the past year reflecting on the things that are truly important and looking back on our life story. And every one of those stories deserves to be told. Now, they can be. Also coming up this morning, speaking of storytellers, best-selling author David Baldacci talks about bringing the colorful characters to life in his latest Archer novel, A Gambling Man. And we have more creative and yummy recipes to share with your family from Kyra's Kitchen to finish up the week. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, April 30th, 2021. Today is Adopt-A-Shelter-Pet Day. Uh, It is also Bugs Bunny Day. Happy birthday to Bugs Bunny, cartoon character. I believe it dates, uh, Bugs uh, dates back 1938, 38 or 39, I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, the uh, cartoon character of Bugs Bunny was first seen in a cartoon short on this date. It is Bugs Bunny Day, Uh, Day of the Child, and it is also Child Care Professionals Day. Those two observances don't always happen on the same day, but they do coincide this year, the Day of the Child and Child Care Professionals Day. So big salute all the way around. Hairstyle Appreciation Day. (laughs) International Jazz Day. You should have started the day with some jazz music. Uh, Missed that opportunity. But International Jazz Day. National Arbor Day today. Go out and plant a tree National Hairball Awareness Day, National Honesty Day, National Military Brats Day. So a big salute to all the military kids of the world today. National Oatmeal Cookie Day and National Raisin Day. And please do not combine those two. No Oatmeal Raisin Cookies Day today. It's not what it is. It's Oatmeal Day, it's Raisin Day, or Oatmeal Cookie Day, Raisin Day, the two should never be combined. Just my own personal opinion there. So uh, one more day before we can uh, kick off uh, for the uh, weekend. This is kind of interesting, uh, something you might want to consider in your office today. A new study from the University College of London suggests that offices with open layouts which is kind of the trendy thing now to do away with cubicles and just have open layouts in the office that may not be the most productive and satisfying configuration for workers. Researchers found that uh, having desks in a position that makes it possible to see too many other of your coworkers makes it hard for you to concentrate and work productively. Also, those who sat at a desk with too many people behind them had issues focusing and felt less like they were part of the team. The results suggest that in offices, just like restaurants, people prefer to sit with their back to a wall rather than out in the middle of the room. Uh, The lead author of the study, Dr. Kirsten Saylor, says it is not the open plan style itself which causes difficulty for people, it seems, but instead having many people within view. And the way I interpret that is bring back the cubicle. We were more productive 
when we had our little cubicles. Lots of people in your line of sight is very distraction and uh, very distracting rather and doesn't really help in terms of having to try and shut out other people's conversations and phone calls and all of that. So go back to the cubicle, I guess. Something to think about. It just goes to show that all of those trendy things, whether it's the office or anywhere else, not always the best options. But anyway, something to uh, think about. Here's something interesting. What is your favorite breed of dog? A new study (laughs) finds that dog breeds with short heads, like pugs, bulldogs, boxers, those short-headed dog breeds are better at establishing eye contact with humans than long-nosed breeds are. Researchers in Hungary say that locking eyes with a dog is key in establishing a connection with your pet and building a bond, and some dogs are better at it than others. The scientists say that <coughs> excuse me, short-headed, cooperative, young and playful dogs are the best when it comes to establishing eye contact with their humans. Breed does play a role. Dogs built to work alongside humans with visual cues like sheep dogs are quicker to lock eyes for a, uh, with a human than a type that was bred for purposes that did not require human visual indicators such as sled dogs, which I guess makes sense. And just in the you know biological sense. Um, the researchers noted is likely due to the shape of their eyes that makes it easier for short-headed dogs to make eye contact with humans as having a more pronounced area um, as having a more pronounced area centralis in the retina means that they have a shorter field of vision than dogs with bigger heads. One of the researchers in the project says it is possible that the owners gaze at them more often as their facial features resemble a small child, which is a powerful cue for humans. And because of this, dogs with shorter noses may be more experienced in making eye contact and forging better connections with their humans. You know what all of this tells me at the end of the day? And I go through the whole story. It tells me that Hungarian researchers uh, really are have run out of things to research. That's they they have nothing better to do, apparently. (laughs) That's the biggest takeaway for me. From that story, anyway. Crazy story out of uh, Poland where treasure hunters, did you hear about this? Treasure hunters are hoping to dig up 48 crates of hidden gold worth nearly half a billion pounds. Not weighing half a billion pounds, worth a half a billion British pounds, which would be somewhere on the order of, I think, three quarters of a billion dollars, something like that. Uh, They believe that all of this gold is located at a Polish palace used by Hitler's SS henchmen as a brothel during World War II, the days of the Third Reich. The uh, team will begin the archaeological excavation at the 18th century palace in the village of Minkowski in southern Poland next week, and they hope to unearth 10 tons of of gold and other riches. The swag was said to be stolen toward the end of World War II under the instruction of Heinrich Himmler, 
to fund the uh, further furtherment of the Nazi regime. It is also thought to be made up of uh, jewelry and possessions treasured by Germany's elite who lived in the area and gave the Nazis their valuables to avoid having them snatched up by Russia's advancing Red Army. The elusive Gold of Breslau, which disappeared from police headquarters in the Polish city of Rorklau, is also believed among to be among the hidden loot. So we may hear more about this uh, next week. That is just a, a fascinating story. 48 crates of hidden Nazi gold may be uncovered next week. Maybe. I mean, if it's there, if the legend is true, or it could be like Al Capone's vaults and they find nothing, but we'll find out apparently next week. That is crazy. What a find that would be. And then, of course, the big question will be who gets to keep it uh, if it is unearthed, but kind of a uh, real life national treasure type of uh, type of thing. And crazy. Did you catch any of the uh, NFL draft last night? Round one of the NFL draft was really cool to see it back in its more normal format as opposed to last year when everything was virtual and they did it via Zoom and and all of that. Uh, No big surprise. Trevor Lawrence became Urban Meyer's first pick as an NFL head coach. So they got their they got their guy. Um Quarterbacks went, what, one, two, three? Well, like that. It was uh, quite the quite the first round. Kind of interesting. And that leads me to uh, this story. Speaking of sports, uh, athletes and some sports leagues have been taking a stand on social issues more prominently than they ever have. And there's been some controversy over whether it is something that they should be doing. And there are two different camps. Some people say sports should be sports and leave politics and everything else out of it. Others say that these sports celebrities have a big stage and they should use it to further uh, social justice and so on. Well, a new poll finds that, excuse me, new poll finds that half of Americans support athletes and leagues using their influence to push for social change. And the other half apparently don't. So right down the middle. In the survey for Seton Hall University, conducted by YouGov, 48% said leagues or teams should. 36% say they should not get involved in social justice issues. Almost the exact same percentage of people who said they were casual fans uh, agreed with those uh, with that uh, thought. And uh, 61% of self-described avid sports fans did. Slightly more people backed athletes pushing for social change, 51%, which rose to 65% among avid fans. So the more avid you are, generally speaking, this is all across the country, uh, people like uh, their sports fans. The more you like, the more uh, invested you are in your, your teams, your favorite players, Uh, the more appreciative you are of the stands that they take on these issues. So uh, kind of interesting. Arizona is considering considering a voting legislation similar to that passed by Georgia. You remember Major League Baseball pulled the All-Star game from Atlanta as a result. So they asked respondents if the NFL should move the 2023 Super Bowl out of the state of Arizona if that legislation is passed. And of the general population, 49% said yes, 
Uh, 30% were opposed. So again, and the rest were not sure. So again, a big split in how people feel about this. Uh, just right down the middle. But I thought that was uh, kind of interesting. The more um, invested fans are in their favorite teams, their favorite players, uh, the more uh, appreciative they are, the more they liked the in, uh, social involvement that those teams and players show. Kind of interesting stuff there in that uh, survey from Seton Hall University uh, conducted by YouGov. So there you go. Some of the uh, first things you need to know this morning. Some things uh, worth chewing on there. We get your Friday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Partly sunny and breezy today with a high around 60. Mostly clear tonight, a low of 37. A Wood County grand jury has returned indictments against eight people in connection with the hazing death of Bowling Green State University student Stone Foltz in March. Wood County prosecuting attorney Paul Dobson says the indictment stemmed from an alleged Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity event in which Foltz was required to attend along with other new members. The Lucas County coroner ruled Foltz's death an accident as a result of a fatal level of alcohol intoxication during the hazing incident. Get more on the indictments on our website. Meantime, the family of Stone Foltz is reacting to the charges being leveled against those eight college students. Sherry Foltz and her husband, Corey, say they don't want this to happen to any other parents. The Foltzes are now pushing for an end to hazing nationwide. Action is already underway in the Ohio House and Senate. We've received a statement from the Foltz family, and it reads in part... We are grateful for all the hard work conducted by local law enforcement and the prosecutor's office, and we are confident they will make sure justice is served. However, today is just one step in the right direction. That's ONN's Tracy Townsend reporting. The United Way of Hancock County's Days of Caring will be held next week. Last year, we caught up with Kate as she and some others from Marathon were painting at the Family Resource Center in Findlay. I mean, when we can volunteer to, you know, to help them with this kind of stuff. I mean, we've done, like, landscaping, we've done painting, we've done cleaning. You can get more information about the Days of Caring service event on our website. The NFL draft kicked off last night in Cleveland, and thousands of people are expected downtown. Browns owner Jimmy Haslam is excited to see a lot of football fans in his town. Anybody can come to the draft. You don't need a ticket, and it is free. And we know with the tremendous love of football, particularly the NFL, that uh, our fans and everybody has in Northeast Ohio will have a great turnout. The stage for the draft is right next to First Energy Stadium and not far from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The draft runs through Saturday. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I cannot tell you how much I love this. Many of us have spent the past year looking back on the story of our life and the things that are truly important. And our next guest says that every one of those life stories deserves to be told. Rutger Bruning is the founder and CEO of Story Terrace. It is a unique startup that matches everyday people with professional ghostwriters to help write their life story. Rutger, tell us a little bit about the inspiration for this idea, if you could. Yeah, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents uh, when I was younger, especially over the holidays. I would stay with them and I would play... Um, 
board games with my, my grandfather. And while playing those and while he was smoking cigars, he would tell me <laughs> stories of his youth, how he played sports, um, how he uh, became a member of the resistance in the Netherlands during the Second World War, how he moved to the Caribbean with my grandmother um, and worked there as a doctor. And he told those stories with such great passion and such great detail that um, I was actually really surprised how quickly they, they faded after he passed away. What strikes me about that is so much uh, of it is just the common everyday uh, things that we all have uh, in our life that that take on uh, a life of their own because of the way they are told in the first person and the man. Because again, it's based on the idea that every life tells a story. But I can hear some people saying, "Oh, my life just isn't that interesting." Yes, we we sometimes get it. About half of our you know, the times we make a book, it's a gift uh, that people give to their their parents, and sometimes the parents say. Well, my life isn't that interesting. Um, and then uh, ultimately, uh, obviously, we say, well, but your children and your grandchildren, they're interested in, in your story. And then we talk to them and, and they've lived through the most fascinating times and they've made some, you know, very sometimes difficult decisions in, in their lives sure. that they've reflected on and they've had some fantastic adventures. And so there, there is never a boring life we've come across. Yeah. Uh, and it's, again, because we've lived it, sometimes we don't think of it as special, but certainly uh, our loved ones do, as, as you were saying. And so you have assembled this network of more than 650 professional writers who got on board with this. Was this a hard sell or did they uh, immediate, the, the ghost writers, did they immediately kind of see this vision as well? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the whole reason that after thinking for a decade around how to resolve this issue, um, to, to, to focus on the writers was that I realized that because of the changes in, in the media industry, so many incredible writers were offering their services free, you know, as a freelancer um, that I thought I could build a network and match people with the writer that really matches with their background and their personality. And the writers completely got that. And uh, they've been really fantastic uh, in terms of helping every project to become a success. Now, does this have to be my life story or it can can it be someone else's? I mean, we mentioned uh, Father's Day is, is coming up. I think it would be wonderful to give my dad his personal memoir. Yes. I mean, we, about half of the time, it's a gift. So we send them a beautiful welcome box either to the person who's giving the gift or directly to the, the gift recipient. And so that on the day of Father's Day or Mother's Day or a big birthday or anniversary, they, they have that box. Um, and that's really the way for them to, to, to learn about the gift. And then the next day we call them and we talk to them about a little bit about their life and, and what uh, kind of writer would be a good match for that. So that is an important point, and and we're going to talk about the process of of getting started on one's personal memoir. Y- you don't have to uh, know uh, exactly, you know, what parts of your life story uh, are are the most interesting. Of the 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 writers through these interviews will actually kind of ferret that out and and uh, figure out what those. Uh, great parts of the story are so it's not like you have to have it uh, kind of constructed in your own mind going in 
No, absolutely not. Although we do help people to think upfront about what they want to talk about and what they want to make sure that they don't forget. Mm -hmm. So we have a questionnaire that um, people read and sometimes they write down notes uh, and that helps to bring back some memories and, and think about what they want to talk about. But the writer and those conversations, which are really in depth, they bring out um, yeah, the, the real detail and, uh, and, and make sure that nothing gets forgotten. So this is a uh, pretty extensive process, an exhaustive process. So you really get to know the subject uh, that that you're writing about here. Uh, what is the, the turnaround time on something like this? Um, it usually takes from three to six months. Okay. And that really depends on how fast or how slow people want to go in terms of finding photos that they want to put in the book, how long they want to look at their draft before um, finalizing it, or um, how much time they want to put in between the different interviews. As you point out, it'd be a terrific idea for Mother's Day, Father's Day, uh, maybe a birthday or anniversary, really any special occasion that will make it extra special here. Yes, absolutely. You know, from, from my perspective, it's the most beautiful gift you can give to someone. The last person I gave it to was my aunt for her 80th birthday. Mm. And uh, she so much enjoyed meeting the writer. And then um, everyone in the family learned more about my, my aunt, actually, which uh, was a real surprise to, to many, many of them that uh, I know that obviously from, from our clients, that often people learn a lot. And uh, it's really fascinating. Yeah, that that I think is uh, maybe the best part is that uh, not only is this a wonderful gift for the recipient uh, themselves, but also for the entire family. I mean, we talk about, uh, it's almost cliche, the gift that keeps on giving, but this truly is. So how do we get started? What is the uh, process uh, of getting the whole thing started? Yeah, so by going to the Story Terrace website, um, people can either you know find our phone number and give us a call, or they can book a phone call with us, and um, we can explain everything exactly how it works in detail. People can pick a package. The package are also you, know, you can view them on the website. It's all very transparent, and then um, we will assign an editor to the project um, who will basically you know. Get, get everything going. It is really terrific because, uh, again, as we said at the outset, every life has a story, and those stories deserve to be told. Rutger Bruning, founder and CEO of Story Terrace. It is absolutely just a, a tremendous idea. Uh, Rutger, thanks very much for taking the time uh, joining us uh, this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, he is a master storyteller, one of the all-time great thriller and mystery writers, and a good friend of this program, best-selling author David Baldacci is back with us once again. His latest Archer novel is called A Gambling Man, and David, I have not read this yet. I just got it the other day, so I haven't had the chance to read it, but just from the write-up, it sounds just absolutely fabulous, wickedly exciting. I'm, I'm really excited uh, in this one, Archer. Uh, looking for a fresh start, heading to California, ends up in Reno, and I'm thinking this character in Reno, that is a fun combination. Mm, it, it definitely is. So <clears throat> he goes to Reno and he picks up two things in Reno. One is a showgirl named Liberty Callahan, 
who wants to be an actress in Hollywood. So she wants to move to California uh, along with Archer. He's going there to be a PI under the mentorship of a legendary PI out in Baytown, California called Willie Dash. Um, and the second thing he picked up from Reno is a 1939 Callahan convertible. Um, it's a, it's a it, Delahaye convertible rather. It's a blood red car convertible. It has a right hand drive like people in England do. He gets it through a sort of a circuitous miscue of gambling and other stuff. So this iconic ride, they, they take over the mountains to California. They have a very traumatic experience along the way. It sort of bonds their relationship and, once Archer gets to California, he's thrown into this blackmail and murder scheme pretty much immediately along with Willie Dash. So for those who are not familiar with this series, talk a little bit about the Archer character, uh, because I think once people understand uh, who aren't familiar, people know what this character is uh, all about. You can see why uh, there are so many fun possibilities in this storyline. Yeah, so Archer is 27 years old. He's an ex-World War II uh, combat veteran. He spent a few years in prison for a, a crime that he would admit to being guilty of, but only guilty of being stupid. Um, and he wants a fresh start in life. Um, so he does his parole in Paca City, uh, which is in the, in the Midwest. And that's during the first novel, One Good Deed. And now he just wants to be a PI. He thinks he can be good at it because of stuff that happened during, during the novel, One Good Deed. And he's heading to California to sort of live that dream, along with Liberty Callahan living her dream and wanting to be an actress. So he's a hard scrabble, sort of hard scrabble kind of guy. He's mm -hmm. a he's a good guy, but he's picked a profession where it's it's he's dealing with a lot of very dishonorable and dishonest people, and he understands that. And he learns the life of you know the school of hard knocks. He learns along the way. He makes mistakes. And hopefully he doesn't make the same mistake twice. Uh, but it's a difficult occupation that he wants to try his hand at. And it gets into a lot of trouble at times. But at the end of the day, he's a good guy trying to do the right thing. Fun, really fun character uh, to write and flesh out over the course of all of these stories. Absolutely. I mean, he's still a young guy um, at age 27. Although back then, you know, life expectancy was a lot shorter and, you know, things happen and he could be approaching middle age right now. Hard to believe, but yeah. probably true for that time period. Um, and for me, it's um, the difference between a standalone book and a series is this. A standalone book is like a two hour feature film. It's one story. You see these characters for one time only. And when the movie ends, that's it. Goodbye. You're never going to see them again. Mm -hmm. With series, it's kind of like episodic television, a, a limited series on Netflix where you can binge watch it for six, seven, eight episodes. And you see the characters evolve over time. The whole reason to do a series is to allow the characters to grow, change for good or bad over time and evolve into something they weren't in the first book and they weren't in the second book. And so with Archer, that really allows me to see his progression as a person going through all these types of experiences. And I've just finished the first draft of the third Archer novel. It'll be out in the spring of next year. And now it's early 1953. He's got three years under his belt of really intense private eye work. And he's definitely a different person than one you see in a gambling man. Now, how much of that did you have fleshed out from the very beginning? And how much of it kind of happens organically as you are writing the books? I, I would say one half of 1% is fleshed out and 99.5% <laughs> happens organically for me. I'm a very seat of the pants kind of writer. Um, I let the epiphanies and the inspirations and the creativity come as it, as it comes. Um, I love the idea of sitting down to write a book where I don't know what's going to end. So I sort of take the journey along with the reader. I just happen to go on that journey first and then you will follow along later. Um, and the best thing I've ever done when I'm writing a novel is to surprise myself. 
I get up a day, you know, one day and I think, okay, I'm going to write the story this certain way and the character's going to do this and say this. And then it totally flips on its head. And I know that when that happens, it's probably a good thing uh, because the way I had initially envisioned it didn't work. And I just thought of a better way to do it. Yeah. Uh, You you use the analogy of uh, binge watching a show on Netflix. And that is why I have not uh, cracked the book open yet. Because as I mentioned, I just got a couple of days ago and I I know that I'm not going to want to put it down once I pick it up. So I haven't even started it yet. Uh, Also, by the way, while we have you on the line, I want to mention this too. And I think we've talked about this before. You have a nonprofit organization, uh, the Wish You Well Foundation, uh, that is it's all about supporting literacy efforts. Talk a little bit about this. Um, you know, reading is the, probably the one fundamental skill that people need to have to realize the potential. If they don't have it, they're never going to rise to that level. We live in an information age, so reading skills, high reading skills, high cognitive skills are paramount. And I think the pandemic has showed that there are haves and have-nots in this country. There are millions of kids across the country, rural, urban, and suburban. They don't have broadband. They don't have a laptop in every home, so they can't virtually learn. It puts them in a huge disadvantage. They've lost basically a year of their education. Yeah. We've had people at the low end of the wage scale who still had to go to work in, in unsafe conditions because they needed the paycheck. They were frontline workers. They got sick. They lost everything, or else they were the first ones fired and the last ones to be hired back. So I think the Wish You Well Foundation, we fund literacy initiatives and programs across the country. Last year was our busiest year ever, if you can believe that. Mm. We put more money into it. We funded more programs because the need was so desperate. There were so many people that the pandemic left totally exposed. Poverty and illiteracy go hand in hand. You know, they're like commas in a clause. You have one at the end and one at the, one at the beginning and one at the end of the clause. And if we can eradicate illiteracy, we can get rid of most of the social ills that we have because with illiteracy comes poverty, with illiteracy comes ignorance. So we can do away, you know, we can wreak a huge dent in discrimination and racism and misogyny. We can do away with a, a huge uh, prison population. We can do away with poverty. We can do away with generational cycles of poverty where yeah. kids' parents are illiterate, their kids don't read well, their kids don't read well, and just it just regurgitates itself generation after generation. So we're trying to put up a wall to say no more, enough is enough. We need to teach people how to read. Amen to that. It is, I've often said, it is the building block by which all other learning takes place. You can't do any learning unless you have the ability to read uh, and, and then you go from there. It is such a wonderful program. Uh, mention the website. A couple of websites. Obviously yours where folks can learn about the book but then also uh, the uh, foundation uh, where you do the uh, literacy work. Yes. Yeah, so my, my website for me is davidbaldacci.com and that's linked to my uh, all my social media platforms, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, all the other platforms of which I know nothing about, but apparently I can't live without. <laughs> and um, and then the, the the foundation is wishyouwellfoundation.org. That'll tell you about a lot of the programs we funded, you know, the success we've had, the people we've helped, how you can donate, how you can volunteer in your communities. Great stuff. Again, David Baldacci, the new novel is A Gambling Man. We've got the links up at our webpage. David, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Uh, story that we've got uh, coming up in the uh, broken news. In, in Great Britain, the royal family uh, can bestow a special honor on certain businesses uh, that have... Uh, they they call it. Let me see if I get the uh, right. They call it the Queen's Award for Enterprise, 
and uh, they bestow this honor on uh, noteworthy British businesses, and uh, these businesses can then put the Queen's seal on their products, and it's really a big deal. Um, This is one of the more unusual uh, bestowments, I guess, is that a word, uh, that the Queen has ever uh, issued, and I I don't know, it's just weird, and uh, it's coming up here. Uh, But first, in the broken news... And this also from uh, England. Back in February, a man by the name of Rudy Batten robbed a McDonald's restaurant. Uh, Mr. Batten told employees that he had a gun, demanded money from the register, and then forced a manager to give him access to the store's safe as well. In all, he made, about, uh, made off with about $600. On his way out of the restaurant... He reportedly demanded some food as well, because, I mean, you figure if you're robbing a restaurant, you may as well eat. (laughs) You can work up an appetite, you know, grand theft. Uh, You get some hungry, Uh, get hungry. And uh, specifically, he wanted some chicken nuggets. (laughs) But unfortunately for uh, Mr. Batten, it was uh, too early in the day and the restaurant was still serving uh, just items from its breakfast menu. So he couldn't get, he got, he ended up making off with $600 in cash and a double sausage McMuffin instead. He uh, compromised, I guess. (laughs) Timing is everything is the uh, moral of the story here. Uh, Apparently, uh, Mr. Batten was identified by security video and ended up turning himself into authorities later that day. A judge recently sentenced him to six years in prison. Wonder what was the uh, worst part? Uh, stealing the uh, food or stealing the uh, stealing the money? Anyway. Elsewhere in the broken news. It's not every day you hire someone to install a pool and they find fossils on your property. Matt Perkins recently moved to Las Vegas and says he uh, woke up Monday morning to find police officers speaking to the workers who were digging out the hole for his backyard pool. He said at first he was kind of freaked out, and then he was really freaked out when he learned that workers had found buried bones about five feet under the surface, where he, right where he was putting in the pool. The bones, as it turns out, were not humid, uh, were not human, and it turns out they could be up to fourteen thousand years old. Mr. Perkins got a hold of Joshua Bondi, director of research at the Nevada Science Center who visited the site last week and says the bones likely came from a horse or other large animal and could date back to Earth's most recent ice age. Ms. Perkins says he is now working on a plan to have the bones removed and turned over to the science center before the concrete is poured for the pool. So, I mean, a pretty cool discovery, but you know what? I still want my pool. I don't know. That's just a crazy story. Speaking of Las Vegas... You know, weird things always happen in Las Vegas, and a TV anchor, local television news anchor in Las Vegas, is now facing charges after being found naked and sleeping in her car. (laughs) You would expect this from a visitor to Las Vegas, not somebody who lives and works there. Uh, Fevin Kefagorgis. Uh, What a name for a TV news anchor works for a local station, KVVU, uh, said she had no idea how she ended up naked sleeping in her car. Uh, Police found her behind the wheel of her car on the evening of March 20th. Here's the thing. She has to pay a $1,000 fine 
and take driving lessons. <laughs> well, she wasn't driving. I don't know why she has to take driving lessons. Maybe she should uh, take uh, uh, lessons on sleeping and how to get dressed. It's, I don't know. She has been charged with reckless driving and disregard for the safety of a person or property. She has no idea how she got there. <laughs> uh, let's see here. This is a uh, viral story. Uh, you can uh, check, th- check this out online. It is kind of funny. Everybody makes mistakes, but this one is particularly embarrassing. In Orange County, Florida, uh, road workers painted a sign on the uh, street for a school zone. You know how when you get to a school zone, they have the, the lines and it says school across the, across the road in big white letters. Unfortunately, these school zone workers misspelled the word school. <laughs> uh, instead of S-C-H-O-O-L, they spelled it S-C-O-H-O-L. So, Skahol. The botched paint job uh, was photographed and posted to social media earlier this week. Uh, county spokeswoman says it was an honest mistake and was corrected by Wednesday night. And the workers have been sent back to school or sent back to Skahol. <laughs> And here you go. This is uh, the uh, weird story again, back from the international file of the broken news. Uh, Queen Elizabeth recently bestowed the Queen's Award for Enterprise uh, to a company, a British company by the name of Love Honey. Interesting name, Love Honey. They make <clears throat> adult toys. <laughs> being honored by Her Royal Highness with the Queen's Award for Enterprise. This after their overseas sales more than quadrupled since 2015. So it's a very successful uh, adult toy company. The company sells uh, all manner of uh, adult gadgets, says that they are thrilled that Her Majesty supports and recognizes their outstanding growth. Love, honey, will now be able to use the crown, the British crown insignia on all of their adult toys. <laughs> Sometimes the comedy just writes itself. Uh, they <laughs> I want to know what the queen uh, has been uh, has been up to lately. Uh, Anyway, there you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this podcast. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. So... At what age do you stop worrying about what anyone else thinks? A study of 2,000 adults over the age of 55 finds that on average, 
Uh, they say they do not feel comfortable in their own skin until they turn 42. And uh, these uh, individuals, these adults, and again, they were all age 55 or up, and said they aren't content in their careers until the age of 40. Most are settled into their relationships by age 37. And while men are satisfied with the way they look by age 34, it takes women over two years longer to feel the same. Men also reported feeling comfortable speaking up and having their own opinions heard at age 40. Women didn't feel the same way until age 45. About 33%, one-third of adults overall, believe that becoming a parent was key to that time where they felt more comfortable uh, with themselves. And another one-third, 33%, say they didn't feel more comfortable in their own skin until later in life than they imagined they would when they were younger. My wife, Kyra, has joined us in the uh, studio. By the way, uh, before we get to the recipes, this is kind of related to that. I happen to see this on the uh, Newswire, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Get your thoughts. A new survey shows the country's best pizza is found in the uh, Northeast, in the tri-state region of the Northeast. Uh, Food okay. and Wine Magazine, and I guess they would know, Yeah. Uh, ranks New Jersey pizza mm-hmm. as the best in the nation. Really? We New need Jersey. to go to New Jersey. <laughs> uh, Connecticut is number two, and New York uh, is third. We've had New York pizza. We've had New York pizza. We have. Uh, that yeah. was uh, when we... Uh, when we went to uh, New York a few years ago, yeah. uh, Freddie and Pepper's Pizza yeah. we, uh, there in Manhattan was really, that was, it was good, good pie. That it was, was good, good pie. It was really good. Uh, but according to uh, Food and Wine Magazine, only the third best uh, in the nation. Wow. Uh, Razza Pizza Artin, uh, Artignale in New Jersey okay. is the best pizzeria in New Jersey and the best in the country. Mm. Uh, the... After, let me see here, after uh, uh, New Jersey, Connecticut, and New York, Illinois and Michigan round out the top five. Huh. So. Michigan. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I said, too. That's interesting. That's what I said, too. Hey, (laughs) it is time for uh, more recipes to uh, wrap up the week. My wife, Kyra, uh, has some uh, terrific uh, recipes from her kitchen for yours. And this one is kind of interesting. Uh, I don't see the recipes in advance. Uh, I do, Well, I see them a couple of days before uh, everybody else when you yeah. uh, put them together. But yeah. we don't consult on this. Uh, you much. just, uh, you know, put yeah. the uh, recipes together and you give them to me and yep. we go with that. Uh, so it was kind of ironic when I saw this because earlier in the week, I actually tweeted out a story from The Atlantic uh, about the history of fish sticks. Okay. Uh, which I thought was really interesting. I know it's kind of random, but it, it was really interesting. And back in the early days of frozen food uh, dinners yeah. and TV dinners and all that, uh, they tried uh, every kind of sticks. They tried fish sticks. They tried steak sticks. They tried okay. chicken sticks. Yeah. They tried um, salmon sticks. They tried everything salmon. was a stick. Huh. Uh, the only one that really stuck yeah. was fish sticks. Yeah. And yet here we have 
country fried steak fingers. So you have kind of steak Steak. sticks. Yeah. (laughs) And so I thought it was just kind of interesting. That's Uh, why they changed the name to fingers instead of sticks. That must be it. Yes. Chicken fried steak fingers. How do we do it? So you take four cube steaks, three-fourths cup of buttermilk, two eggs, two cups of flour divided, one teaspoon of Lowry salt, one teaspoon of pepper, one teaspoon of garlic salt, one teaspoon of onion powder, a quarter teaspoon of red crushed peppers. And you don't have to do those if you don't want, because that'll give it a little bit of a kick. Right. Along the same lines, you mentioned cube steak. Could you use other cuts of steak as well? Oh, yeah. Or, okay. Yep. Yep. I, I didn't know if there was something specifically about cube steak that would... No. No, okay. No. All right. So you can use whatever cut yeah. you like. And one to two cups of vegetable oil. Okay. So use an electric skillet or a large cast iron pan, which is what I use. Uh, heat your oil to 375. Cut your cube steaks into one-inch strips and place on a plate lined with paper towels. And the reason you're doing that is... You're, you're going to soak up Yeah, all soaking of the extra up the extra oil liquid. and everything, yeah. Um, as you cut up the steaks and the strips, fill the plate. And then when when that part layer is filled because you'll want to make them flat, yeah. then put another paper towel on. Right, right. And then the rest of your, your steaks. Uh, while the oil is heating up, add half a cup of flour into a large uh, baggie. Then prepare two different bowls that are enough for the steak. The first bowl has eggs and buttermilk whisked together. Mm-hmm. And then the second bowl has a half half of the flour mixed with all of your seasonings. For kind of the breading. Right. Yeah. So once the oil is ready, pat dry, place six to eight of your steak fingers into the bag of flour, seal, and shake to coat. Mm -hmm. The next, add it to your egg mixture, then your flour seasoning mixture. Okay. Then into the skillet. Then fry until golden brown on both sides. Repeat coating the rest of your your steak fingers. Um, uh, For best results, make sure... The coat of the steak fingers right before going into the skillet. So, so right from yeah. the coating so into shaking, the skillet. So everything right in that right. order. Don't yeah. let them soak up. Okay. All right. Okay. So there you go. Simple, yep. uh, simple stuff. The uh, chicken fried steak fingers. Yes. And to go with that, uh, red skin potato salad. Yes. I like red skin potatoes. Um, so one and a half pounds of red potatoes, three-fourths cups of mayonnaise, one teaspoon of dried dill, a quarter cup of dill relish, um, one teaspoon of Dijon mustard, a quarter cup of apple cider vinegar, a teaspoon, one, a quarter teaspoon of pepper, and a half a teaspoon of salt. That's more for your taste. So mm-hmm. whatever you want to do there, right, you can do. Right. So chop up your potatoes into bite-sized pieces. Don't remove the skin. Yeah, the you mentioned the yeah, yeah. Uh, mentioned the yeah. uh, one and a half pounds of red potatoes, not peeled. Right. Yeah. Right. You want to keep the peeling on, and place in a saucepan with water covering the potatoes. Bring to a boil and cook for about ten minutes or so. You can like use a fork until to they're test tender. Them. Yeah. yeah, you can use a fork to test it. Mm-hmm. Um, while the potatoes are cooking, mix your mayonnaise, your dill, your dill relish, your mustard into a mixing bowl and refrigerate. Then drain your potatoes after they are done cooking and place in a large mixing bowl. Add your vinegar, your pepper, and your salt to the potatoes and toss to coat. So again, you're tossing those. Right. Yeah. And then allow that to cool. Then add your refrigerator mayonnaise mixture to the potato salad. Oh, okay. So that kind of 
puts that vinegar into gotcha. the, the uh, potatoes. Mix gen- gently, refrigerate till you're ready to serve. If you want a little crunch, add some onions, some celery, anything like that that okay. you would like. The red skin potato salad to go with the chicken fried steak fingers. And then for dessert, <laughs> uh, this is uh, kind of like your uh, your birthday pie. Yes. Because uh, my wife's got a, a birthday coming yes, up tomorrow. I do. Shh, don't tell anyone. Uh, this is the <laughs> no bake Kahlua chocolate pie. Yes. So a store bought Oreo crust, or if you want to make your own right. Oreo crust, or Oreo crust, you're more than welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight ounce uh, whipped topping thawed, two to two, three, four, three point four ounce instant chocolate pudding mixes. Just the dry mix. You don't just the mix. Don't make don't, the pudding. No, okay. don't make the pudding. Just the mixes. A cup of milk, three fourths cup of Kahlua, and one teaspoon of vanilla extract. Okay. So in a large bowl, combine your whipped topping with your dry pudding mix, your milk, your Kahlua, and vanilla extract. Uh, use a hand mixer or your or your stand mixer to mix it until it's completely smooth. Uh, you won't see any pieces of clumped up pieces of the pudding right. mix. Yeah. Pour into the pie crust. Refrigerate for refrigerate for at least four hours. Place in the freezer for fifteen minutes right before serving. Um, and it's optional to achieve a nicer, cleaner slice to put it in the freezer. Okay, so you don't have to freeze it. Nope. Uh, but that. Uh, solidifies yes. it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There so it's you go. easier to cut. Really, really easy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, just a delicious uh, yeah. dessert there. The no bake Kahlua chocolate yeah. pie. Yeah. Emphasis on the word Kahlua. Kahlua. And I may have to make one and just keep it to myself <laughs> this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would deserve that being your birthday. So, uh, uh, but yeah. this is, by the way, and again, because we're using Kahlua. May not be a family friendly no, uh, thing. That's and why not, I said keep it all not, to myself. You're <laughs> not really baking this nope. either, so it's not like nope. you're baking the alcohol out. Nope. So there you go: <laughs> the uh, chicken fried steak fingers, the red skin potato salad, and the adult dessert, the uh, no bake Kahlua chocolate pie. Our recipes from Kyra's Kitchen this morning. We have those recipes posted on our Facebook page. Uh, so go to the WFIN Facebook page. Also linked up at GoodMornings.net. My wife Kyra. Thanks very much you're welcome and that will wrap up our podcast for today want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning remember as always you can get more information on all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, and that is goodmornings.net you can also connect with us on social media shoot us an email if there's something you want to share directly sign up for our daily email newsletter and more again goodmornings.net is our little corner of the world wide web Coming up on Monday, Ohio will lose a congressional seat due to a population shift in the latest census count. But does it really have to be that way? Why the cap at 435 members of the House of Representatives in the first place? Until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day and a great weekend. Catch you back here on Monday.